Hello, I'm Dr. Louise Newson, and welcome to my podcast. I'm a GP and menopause specialist, and I run the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Centre here in Stratford-upon-Avon. I'm also the founder of the Menopause Charity and the Menopause Support App called Balance. On the podcast, I will be joined each week by an exciting guest to help provide evidence-based information and advice about both the perimenopause and the menopause. On the podcast today, I've got somebody who's not in the UK and someone in a country that I've not spoken to before on my podcast. So it's someone called Martha, who's a urologist in Uganda. And some of you might know that my husband has done some work in Africa. He's a urologist, but he doesn't specialise in women, actually. He specialises in men and male reconstructive surgery. So Martha was introduced to me recently and as a company we sponsored her for her final exams and we'll talk about how well she did in a minute. So welcome Martha to this podcast. Thank you Dr. Nielsen. Great to be here. Oh no it's brilliant. So you are incredibly inspirational. There aren't many female urologists over where you are. So can you just Tell me a bit about you and why you decided to do urology. <laughs> uh, well, my name is Martha Namuga Monica. I'm 34 years old. I'm a wife and a mother of two sons. Mm. And I was a general surgeon first before I ventured into urology. There's nothing so special. I didn't have any touching story behind my choice of urology. It just happened to be one of the rotations that I enjoyed fully. Mm. And I found the urologist quite inspiring. Yes. And then I, I also had a dream of, of helping, you know, women with fistula in Uganda. So and urology was a means to that. Wow. Yeah. So I ended up choosing urology after my general surgery. And that's what I, I did my fellowship in. Which is great. In fact, my husband was similar. He didn't set up to be a urologist initially, but then he started to meet people like Steve Payne, actually, who's also been part of Eurolink and found it so inspirational and really enjoyed the people that he worked with. So tell me about, for those people who are listening who don't know what a fistula is, do you mind explaining what a fistula is, Martha? So a fistula is any abnormal connection between two surfaces that have a mucous membrane. Mm-hmm. So in Uganda, obstetric fistulas are something that is not rare. For a lot of women cannot afford timely care when they go to deliver babies. So they end up getting an abnormal connection between their vaginal canal and the rectum or vaginal canal and the bladder. Mm-hmm. And then they become ostracized or like neglected from society because they have, you know, this stench and it becomes complicated with family. They usually lose their families. So a lot of them stay like that for some time because maybe they don't know that there's somewhere where they can get help. Mm. But once those women are identified and investigated, surgery can be done to make the situation better. So we have a lot of people who come over to Uganda and uh, do sort of like surgical camps. So when people have fistulas that go into their bladder, so they have urinary symptoms, so they have leakage and incontinence. Yes, so they they have continuous incontinence. Mm, And that can often lead to them being completely ostracised from the community concept when they have urinary incontinence. Right, so most times, you know, they lose their husbands and and there was a, a lady especially touching, she said she's a Christian, she really loved to go to church, but 
the most complicated thing about the feast we love for her was that she wasn't able to go to church because then kids would laugh at her that she's smelling urine like a baby. Mm. So just to see the women get better and give their life back, that makes my day. It's, it's wonderful. Absolutely. I mean, it's transformational surgery. And certainly, I mean, over here, fistulas do occur, but they don't occur as commonly because obviously care when people are in labour is better. But we don't have that same sort of stigma, really, from incontinence, actually. And incontinence of urine can be very common, especially, as you know, in, in the menopause. But people still often can carry on with their lives. And it was only when my husband came back from Africa the first time and told me that people couldn't go to church or they were not able to be part of the family and community it makes you realise actually what a big problem it is. And certainly in the UK, women don't like to talk about urinary symptoms. They certainly get very embarrassed talking about incontinence. And do people over there find it hard to talk about? Yes, yes. So um, generally things to do with reproductive health, the topics which, which are seen as immodest. So a lot of people keep quiet with their problems. Mm-hmm. Some of the women have stayed incontinent for over 10, 20 years, and yet they didn't come to hospital to seek help. Mm. So it's something they're shy to talk about a lot of times. So a lot of people suffer silently. Gosh. And so how do you educate them? How do you let them know that there is treatment available? We pass around, not me in particular, but what I've seen being done, my work with the fistula people is more at the hospital level when they come to get reconstructed and maybe in the post-operative period. However, the efforts by the Ugandan government include um, sensitizing people over over social media, which radio, which is the commonest thing that goes around here and in churches and their hospitals that keep, you know, calling out to these women and having like regular camps throughout the year for years now to try and capture some of these women. And there's some NGOs which actually go down to the communities and go house by house looking for any women who might be affected by these situations. Wow. Some women also hear, I mean, get referred by their other colleagues who might have had a, a similar problem in the past that got rehabilitated. Mm. So the more people are aware that there is treatment available, the better, isn't it? But how many surgeons are there over there doing your sort of surgery, Martha? So, um, let's see, maybe less than 10. There are maybe two surgeons distributed in the west, some in the east, some in the north. But most of them are actually gynecologists. That's their main specialty. We have some urologists like Dr. Simushen. He's done quite a bit of work with women who have fistula. He's published a couple of books. Um, He's a urologist. And then we have another urologist, Dr. Kiria, in the East. But most of the other people are gynecologists. But there are not more than 20 people doing reconstruction in Uganda. They usually get support teams from the UK or from Ireland. Mm. Most times people come in to, you know, work with some organizations that are volunteers that come in and work together with the doctors, the local team, to try and reconstruct the ladies. Which is so important. And so how many female urologists are there in Uganda? Oh, female urologists are not so many in Uganda. Um, let's see, maybe it's the four of us at the moment. Mm. We have a retired senior consultant, uh, Rosemary Nasanga, 
and we have Dr. Hope Kibansha who qualified three years ago. Then just recently we have myself and Dr. Anna Tinka, just uh, yes. four ladies who are urologists. It's not a field that a lot of women take on in Uganda. No. For now, maybe the situation will be different in future. Mm, well, I hope so. Certainly, you're a fantastic <laughs> role model and amazing that you've done so well. And you've done actually incredibly well. So do you mind saying what you did in the exam and what your result was? Oh, <laughs> so we, we <laughs> had our exam over in Namibia in December. And I I merged on top of my class. So it, it was under the College of Surgeons for East, Central and Southern Africa. So country members or member countries take turns every year in hosting the exam and the big conference after. So we had candidates from different parts of Africa that uh, have COSEXA. Uh, and I merged best in my class. So wonderful. It was good for me. It's amazing. Amazing. <laughs> so does that mean you got a medal? I did get a medal, yes. Yeah. Well, you need to be very, very proud. I mean, that to get the highest mark, <laughs> to be the best in the exam is absolutely phenomenal. And my husband actually got the gold medal when he did the exam many years ago. And it was something he always oh, wow. wanted to do, but he thought he might not be able to. And my two children, I had two children then, I've now got three, but I had two and they were, I think one was two and one was one when he was revising for the exam. And it was a very hard time because he was working and revising as well as obviously being a full-time surgeon. But when he got the gold medal, it it all just seemed worthwhile. And when I saw the photo of you with a massive grin on your face, deservedly so, <laughs> when you had the results, it reminded me of how happy my husband was. And it's phenomenal, actually. And no one will ever take that away from you, will they? I mean, once you have an award and achievement, that's there for life. And your family must be really proud of you, aren't they? Yes. So it was, I can relate <laughs> to what your husband was going through. <laughs> I have two little children, four and one, and Aww. and I'm a wife, and my husband is also awfully busy. So I had to juggle a lot of things. I had to work two jobs and two babies and a husband and a home to run. Mm. Yeah, so it, it was quite hectic, lots of late nights, lots of time invested. So it was, it was beautiful that it paid mm. off in such a way, truly. Oh, totally. And so... So obviously we, as I said at the beginning, we sponsored you, but how did the sponsorship help you then? Well, so the sponsorship gave me an opportunity to go to Namibia and stay comfortably and do my exam comfortably. And also knowing that I had a sponsorship, it meant that I didn't have to work so hard at my jobs. I could take a bit of time off and concentrate on, on reading for my exam and preparing better. So it was a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. The girl child in Africa has a lot of challenges growing up and just going through school and completing school. It's not something that we, we the few of us that have gotten the opportunity that we take for granted. So mm. you made actually the, the good performance, I think, could also in some way be related to the fact that I didn't have to worry about the funds and the exam fee and the travel fee and the stay and so on and so forth. Mm. I could at least settle down and read. And while I was there, it was, I didn't have to worry much, really. Everything was taken care of. So I'm really grateful to you, Dr. Newson, and the organization 
for supporting the girl child in Africa. <laughs> well, you know, we're so pleased. And as you know, my husband's part of Eurolink and he goes out to Africa usually twice a year and he comes back very humbled. The first time he came back, he was absolutely exhausted and sadly he'd had his computer stolen and his money stolen and he had came back with awful diarrhea. So he wasn't feeling very well, but he still said, Louise, this is the most amazing week of my life, actually. And I've learned so much and I feel so humbled by the people and everybody is so friendly and so grateful. And each time he's gone, he's learned more and more. And you know, I think for us, we forget how privileged we are over here. And it's so important to be able to give and share because helping people is why we went into medicine in the first place, isn't it? Right. So I feel very strongly that everybody deserves access to treatment that's going to help improve their lives, but also the quality of their lives. But actually, the work you're doing is not just improving the individual, it's all those people around them as well. And I think that's why working in women's health can be really transformational for families and communities, probably more than men's health in some ways. Yes, because I think women play a, a big role in society, no doubt in any society, mm. and in the African society especially. So it's very important to have a healthy population, but a healthy population of women especially, yes. Mm, absolutely. And and I knew when we spoke before, Martha, you were saying that your education about the menopause has been a bit like mine at medical school. I didn't really get any education. And people don't think about the menopause in a way that perhaps they should. Would you agree with that? Yeah, so absolutely. So in Africa, when I saw your your a menopause specialist, I was like, well, what is that? <laughs> in Africa, it's like the women have to accept that, you know, menopause is just something that happens, you know, part of life. So don't complain, take it gracefully. Mm. Yeah, but I've uh, taken some time to, you know, read about your work. Seems like really, really important work. And you're helping a lot of women here in down here, it's not even like a lot of women won't come to hospital and complain about the postmenopausal syndrome and the symptoms and all the nasty things that happen mm. because they feel that it's just part of growth. It's just something that you have to go through. So they suffer in silence. So to think. Yeah. And certainly over the last 20 years, women globally have done that, even in the UK as well, because we've always been told, well, it's a natural process. All women go through it. So we can just battle on and carry on but actually for a lot of women and I'm sure it must be the same over for you than it is over here that they have a lot of psychological symptoms so a lot of women feel very low they very feel very demotivated they have feelings of reduced self-worth and really find it very difficult to function and also quite a few women have physical symptoms, including muscle and joint pains and headaches. And although some women will obviously soldier on, it can be really, really difficult. And it means that you can't be the best version of yourselves. But the other thing that worries me is the health risks as well. So, you know, the uh, risks of heart disease and obesity and, and diabetes, which 
can affect all communities. And then the other thing is the urinary symptoms that can be involved. So women who've had fistulas, once they become menopausal, the tissues in the perineum can become very thin, they can lose their collagen, they can lose the vasculature. So urinary symptoms can really become so much worse during the menopause, can't they? Yeah, right. The mucosa or the vaginal lining and the perineal lining becomes quite thin, so mm. that complicates the fistulas further. Some women have fistulas during their child reproductive age, but hit menopause with the fistulas unattended to. We've seen a few of those yes. coming through. In the space of uh, menopause here in Africa, there is a lot of work that needs to be done. Mm. A lot of education, a lot of advocacy, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things also is thinking about how we can enable vaginal oestrogen to be given to women who are menopausal, especially with those women who have symptoms, because we know the majority of women have some localised symptoms, whether it's related to vaginal dryness or urinary symptoms. Yet we know that vaginal oestrogen treatment is very cheap, but it's not available, is it, in Africa? No, no, not necessarily. Some, I think that some estrogen creams are available in some of the pharmacies, but they are quite costly that a lot of women cannot afford. Mm. And certainly when I've been trying to find out about it, some of it comes from America and it is a lot more expensive. But in the UK, it is a lot cheaper and there must be ways of being able to get it out over to you. And there's something that I'm really keen to try and explore how we can do that, because certainly even if people have surgery, we know that wound healing can be so much better when they have vaginal oestrogen. And some women might not need the same type of surgery if they have vaginal treatment at the right time, you know, when their symptoms first start to be a problem rather than waiting until they're more severe. Right. So there's a lot of work that's needed to be done, isn't there? There's a lot of work that needs to be done. There's a lot of work that needs to be done, absolutely. Mm. But that would be very helpful. Availing estrogen to women that need it yes. would be very, very helpful. Mm. Well, there's lots of hurdles, but there's. I'm quite determined. And there's, you know, I think we need to keep getting the conversation over. And I know that Eurolink, some of the surgeons, including Susie Venn, who you know are coming out again soon to try and really assess female urology because in the past they've been focused more on men with Eurolink and now they're focusing quite rightly so on women as well and, and it would be very interesting to see what they can do and the changes that they make and I know that they're going to come and visit us in the clinic as well which will be really good. Yes yes Dr Susie has I think has a vast experience in traveling to Africa, I think to Tanzania. Mm. And I think she does quite a, a number of fistula surgeries as well over there. So I'm sure she has mm. some contacts already. I'll also put you in touch with Dr. Simushen, who also has some contacts already of the people who keep visiting and helping us with the surgical camps. And they are from the UK and Wales. Yeah, so um, they could also be your link. Maybe one day you'll come out and meet some of the women mm. when there is a camp. It would be yes. a really nice thing. Yes. I'll send over the contacts and we see what you can do. Yes, I would love to. And actually, for many years, I thought how wonderful to be able to do charity work like my husband does but then I've always thought I don't have a skill I'm not a surgeon I can't sew people up I can't do anything but actually knowing indirectly from my company over here in the UK we can help people 
It's really important and you might know we've done quite a lot with an HIV charity, Sophia Forum, where we've written information actually about women living with HIV because we know many women with HIV are more likely to have menopausal symptoms and less likely to have treatment. And we're also now doing some work in the UK, but we hope it will be given elsewhere for women who have had FGM, female genital mutilation, because a lot of these women really suffer when they're menopausal, but they don't understand why. So we're working with some communities to get the right information so people can understand what's going on with their bodies. Right. That sounds like very good work, Dr. Newsom. Well, it's so important. And like you were saying at the beginning, it's about how we educate people so they understand what's happening and understand if there is treatment because it's the same in any area of medicine if you don't know what's happening it can be very frightening and isolating concepts that is true especially here so i think there's there's a lot to do in the education space and sensitization space mm. and and one community at a time i think a lot can still be achieved Yes, absolutely. So now you've been introduced to the menopause, <laughs> you're not going to be able to ignore it. And, uh, you know, I think there's some really exciting times ahead. And I really want to be able to improve the health of future generations as well. That is very, very beautiful. <laughs> so before we finish, Martha, I always ask people for Three take-home tips, really. So three things that they might learn from after listening to the podcast. So I'm really keen to ask you three things that people in Africa might be able to learn or benefit from just from having you as now a trained urologist. Okay, so um, just to from the podcast, of course, you're doing some work with menopause. A lot of women, if anybody here were to listen to a podcast, they would know that uh, there is somewhere out there in the world where menopause doesn't have to be taken on just humbly and embraced, that something can actually be done to improve the quality of life. And to the African girl child, to know that despite all the challenges, despite all the hurdles, you can still emerge, you can still do it, you can still emerge victorious. And um, the third and lastly is that in whatever small way, any individual can actually do something to improve the life of another. Mm. Absolutely brilliant. And I think the more we connect, the more we can speak, the more we can help each other, that's going to really make big changes going forward. So I'm very, very appreciative of your time. And I just want to publicly once more say congratulations, because I know the work that you did was so hard, but so well deserved that you got the gold medal. So well done, Martha. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Newson, And thank you for making it possible. For more information about the perimenopause and menopause, please visit my website, balance-menopause.com or you can download the free Balance app, which is available to download from the App Store or from Google Play. Music